Can you hear me? All right. I've been having little arguments with the mics the last few times, so I appreciate its assistance. I'd like to start this morning by thanking Brandon for allowing me to preach this morning. Uh, I was in New York when things happened here, and it's frustrating not to be able to do something to help, so I appreciate the opportunity. You know, last time I preached, we talked about prayer. We talked about Moses and the battle with the Amalekites, and I remember that he was holding the rod, and I had my stick, and as long as he could hold it up to the Lord, they won. But when he got weary, uh, Aaron and Ur held his arms up for him. And we talked about how important it is for the prayer uh, of those to support the leaders of our church and of our, as we battle the Amalekites of this world. And uh, I know that you are a praying people, that you've been praying for one another. But let me ask you to continue to pray, and especially for our pastor. Um, as a member of the pastor search committee, we spent a long time talking about what a pastor could do for us, what their qualifications were. One of the things God convicted us about was that not only do we need a person who can pastor and love us, but we have a responsibility, a covenant relationship to our pastor to love him and to support him in prayer. And uh, I encourage us to do that. This is a time when I've been a, I've been a wounded shepherd and the prayers of God's people lifted me up. And this is the time to do that, and I pray that you'll do it. One of Brandon's favorite words is, i got your back. I just want him to know we've got his back, and we take it to the Lord. So, all right, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, starting with the 35th verse. Right after Matthew. Mark chapter 4, starting with the 35th verse. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke, disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Father, we come to you this morning and to your word, and we ask you to speak to us. We have needs we've brought to us with us, and we have concerns, we have a, need, a deep need to know your will for our lives. And so we pray that your word will come back to you, Lord, and, uh, and come through us, Lord, and, and bring about the changes you would desire, and speak to us in the places that no one else knows about. And we trust your spirit, Lord, to be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, back in February, if you can remember that long ago, this year, we returned from a, a trip to Maui, which is a little island in Hawaii that I had never been to. And we came back, and we went there with our, with our son and his family and three granddaughters. And it was a good time. And on the way back, we got home, and we were ready after six days to go home. 
and look forward to a, a night in our bed. You remember, you know how that is when you've been gone. And then when we, my wife turned on the iPhone, there was all kinds of messages on Facebook about a flooding in Dunsmuir and about evacuation. And we got things we were seeing happening around our house. Got a little concerned about the water rising. We live right by the Sacramento River. And then turning off, shutting off access to our house. And I was concerned where we were going to sleep and what we were going to do. And uh, so it was a, a little harrowing there. But um, just to cut the story short, short it, it, uh, it ended good. We got into our house. The, the, the winds died down. The rains died down. And we got home and we slept in our bed. And it was a good, a, good, a, good, a good situation. But later this year, we read about storms named Harvey and Irma, two devastating hurricanes that flooded the Houston and the Florida areas and the southeast. <laughs> and uh, it, it took out power for millions and homes and, and lives in the south and the southeast. I read yesterday that I was reading in the business section of all places, that the last quarter business did better, and partly because of the auto industry. Just to show the magnitude of these storms, they say that there's approximately a million cars need to be replaced because of the flood. That's a bunch of cars. But it is a massive storm. During that same period of time, we heard about and watched on TV stories about the great earthquake in Mexico City and people trying to find those who were survivors. And recently, we witnessed the news of unparalleled destruction in Sonoma and Napa counties, pretty close to us caused by a huge fire fueled by winds and years of drought vegetation. It swept through homes, vineyards, and businesses in a small fireball, in a mass fireball, causing the loss of thousands of homes and businesses and the life of many who were caught in their homes and couldn't get out in time, especially those who were older. When I was, we were in, uh, in New York, in North Carolina, visiting our son and doing some travel, and the, everywhere we went, when they found out where we were from, they said, is that close to the fires out in the, in the northwest? People all over heard about this terrible uh, destruction. Not long ago, we experienced a firestorm storm here with weed. In just a matter of hours, homes went up and things were, and people lost so much, and it was crisis in our, in our own communities. It affected our families, our friends, and our fellow workers. These are horrible, horrible tragedies, <coughs> but by, caused by unexpected storms and, and death and disasters. We often experience other kinds of storms that can be equally devastating to our lives. It may be the sudden unexpected loss of a job that affects your livelihood, your family. It could be the announcement by the doctor that we have a terminal illness. Or we went in for a regular checkup and found out that we had cancer. We experience the loss of loved ones that leave us feeling swamped by waves of grief and overcome by pain and suffering as we face life without our loved one. Our storms may be the loss of a relationship with a friend that we've had for a long time, or it could be the separation from a spouse that leaves us wondering what the future holds. There are hundreds of storms that attack us in our lifetime, and some we grow accustomed to and some we just not sure we're going to survive. My message this morning is about a storm in the Sea of Galilee. It took place after a very busy, exhausting day in Jesus' ministry. He had faced a, a fierce challenge by the religious leaders of the time, accusing him of, of serving the devil and, and of being his preacher. 
Then his mother and brothers came trying to get Jesus to quit his ministry, thinking he was crazy. And then he had all these people coming to him, seeking healing, and he spent the day caring and healing. And then he talked to the people in parables and taught them. He worked all day long in many different ways. It was a challenging, busy day. At the end, he was tired. And he told his disciples, let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Let's go and take a rest. He got into the boat just as he was. He didn't take any provisions, any special uh, clothing or protection. He just went and, and laid down in the, in the boat on a section that they had for it and a, put his head on a pillow and went to sleep. And so he set out that evening, probably a star in the sky, as, a, as the sun set, ready to cross eight miles to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So I'd like to focus on three great important truths from this boat trip that we find in Mark chapter 4. And I hope it will help us as we face whatever storms you're facing this morning. The first truth I'd like to share with you is that we all face storms in our life that we cannot handle. Anybody here ever faced a storm they couldn't handle? Well, some of you. Well, you others are sure lucky. But storms come. And some of them are so big that we have no idea how we're going to handle them. It tends to make us feel like we're going to go under. And the storms usually come unannounced and catch us off guard. I'm not a techie guy, but I got my wife an iPhone. And it is an asset and a liability sometimes. But we hooked up to a, a warning, weather warning last winter, so we kind of know what was happening. And so you get these interesting uh, weather bulletins. It says... Uh, you will receive light rain starting at approximately 7.13 p.m. I love that, approximately. <laughs> but they, they say that. Then 10 minutes later, there are heavy rain starting at approximately 7.43 p.m. And at 3 a.m. in the morning, we get a bulletin that says, heavy snow by 4.06 a.m. And we kept listening to that, and it kept waking us up in the night. Even with my hearing problem, I could hear it. So we finally turned it off at night. And see if we just open up the curtains and look and see what was out there. And that worked really, really good because it's hard to predict the weather. It's hard to predict when the storms are going to come. And they do come. Eventually they do come in our lives. The Sea of Galilee was a body of water in the upper end of the Jordan River. It's a relatively small body of water. But at its deepest point, it's 150 feet deep. Huge. Uh, I think that's pretty deep. 150 feet. It's eight miles wide at its widest and was approximately 16 miles long. And it was known for its unique and unpredictable weather. It's 650 feet below sea level and surrounded on the west by mountains, some as high as Mount Hebron, which is 9,000 feet. And in between the mountains on the west, there were these ravines, these breaks in the mountains. And uh, that allowed the, the winds to rush through them kind of like funnels. And, uh, and often it would come through these funnels towards the Sea of Galilee, uh, which had a warmer climate and warmer air. And as the warm air lifted, it sucked in the cold wind through the ravines, and it caused that winds to come flying through across the sea, and it would hit the mountains on the east and cause a swirling. And they'd have these vicious storms that came almost out of nowhere. And so this is what happened. And Often in the storms, and it certainly happened here when Jesus was crossing. The storm came. This came out of the, the winds howling and, and, and whistling and going around. It was like a, a cup of 
of water in the hand and some great hand that starts shaking. You ever see somebody who has a little trouble holding the coffee? And it starts splattering and it starts moving. The whole, they treated like a bowl, that water did, and it was, it was turbulent and causing great waves and, and, and winds were swirling. And it was a scary situation. I had kind of a feeling of knowing what that was like. I got a chance, I got kind of led to go on a rafting trip of all things on the Sacramento River. It was a San Jose Mercury Chamber of Commerce promotion. They need some, some volunteers to go with the photographers. And how I got, I don't know, my wife was working for the chamber and our boy was coming home from college. That was a great opportunity. Well, well the, the son backed out. I ended up going, getting in this raft, going down the upper Sacramento where we live, which is not usually a tubing place, I mean, not usually a rafting place. And it was in the spring, and there were a few number four rapids at that time, if you know what that means. I didn't know what that meant. But I found out what that meant. I got in the raft, and what you get is there were times when I looked around, and all there was was water. Walls of water, and I down the bottom of it. And he said, row, and I said, where? You know, we worked out really hard, and we go up the side of this wall of water, and then down the other side, and there was more there. And it was scary. It really was. And they add to the scariness, because I don't swim. <coughs> so I can't swim. So this was a little scary. I could tell you other stories about this. I won't. I'm just telling you, I got, a, I, I got an idea what it must have been like to be in Jesus' boat with that storm, and that little boat bobbing up and down in the waves, and the waves crossing over the top of it, and filling it up with water. So that's, that sudden storm came, and it became apparent, even to the, some of these guys had been on working with boats on the sea for a long time, and they'd experienced these storms, but even these seasoned veterans of the, of the Sea of Galilee and these fishermen soon understood that <clears throat> this was something they couldn't handle, that they were going to go down. The boat was almost full. And finally, when they realized that it was too bad for them to survive, they remembered something. Their master was on the boat, but he was sleeping. He was still asleep on the boat with all this storm going on around him. And so they come to him in their weakness and their fear, and they don't know what he can do, but they've seen him do things for others, and there's their last chance. So they try to wake Jesus up. Have you ever done that in your storm? You've tried everything. You've worked yourself as hard as you possibly can to find a solution and dig yourself out of it, and then you remember, oh, yeah, I wonder if God could help. You done that? Yeah, isn't that bad? Sad? Let's go check him out. Uh, and so they go to Jesus, wake him up, and they said, they said kind of an interesting thing. They said, don't you care if we drown? That's a real statement of faith, isn't it? Don't you care about us, Jesus? You're here sleeping in the boat and we're about to go under. Don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're about to drown? The disciples asked a question when they knew the storm was too big for them. And that question leads us to a second truth from this storm. They asked the teacher, do you care? Don't you care about us and the trouble we're in? Our second truth is that Jesus cares about us in the storms of life. Jesus cares about us in the storms of life. Do you ever wonder if God's asleep? and doesn't know about your troubles? Or even worse, you question if he even cares about you or your problems? The disciples did. They wondered 
Why are you sleeping while we're dying? Let me tell you emphatically this morning that Jesus does care about your troubles. You are, whatever storm you're in, he does care about it. How do you know that, you know? Well, partly I know it from experience, but let me tell you uh, briefly something Charles Spurgeon, when he was studying this scripture and he was talking about it, he asked some questions that we ought to ask when we face a problem and wonder if God cares about us. He said, do you, these questions, do you think that Jesus came down from heaven to earth to save you and now he's indifferent to you and your troubles? Do you think he lived here for 33 years and struggled and sacrificed and was weary and went through all kinds of persecution for your salvation and then he's ready to let you drown in a storm? Do you think he went to the cross after agonizing in prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane and sweating great drops of blood? And I read something in the internet this week about is real something that happens often from super stress. As he agonized over the cross that he was going to face and taking on our, our sins and the price he was going to pay, if he would do all that and then go to the cross, don't you, and he, can you believe he doesn't care about you now when you're in trouble? Do you think he bore the wrath of God for your sins and doesn't care if you perish in the trial you're facing? Do you believe he slept in a borrowed grave and rose again for you and has gone within the veil and pleads with God on our behalf and has no love for us? Does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense, does it? If Jesus loves us that much, why didn't he care? wouldn't he care about the things that matter to us today and the troubles we're in? I don't think so. I don't think he doesn't care. I think he cares deeply or what you're facing, and the trials that you're in. Or as Paul asked in Romans 8.32, He also did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, give us all things? If he cared about our souls and our eternal life, doesn't he care about our daily life? Sometimes our thinking gets a little cockeyed. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that God care about your problem? Hebrew 13.5-6 says, Never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. The disciples said, Do you care that we are going to drown? It's really a dumb question. Of course he cares. The most important thing to know in an overpowering storm is that you're not alone. There in the storm on that poor wind-tossed boat with its torn sails and worn-out passengers was Jesus asleep in the rear of the boat. They were not alone. But Jesus didn't seem to care. But that was not the case. He was tired and unafraid of the storm. He didn't even wake up with all that commotion. But when they shook him and woke him up, they should have known from all that they'd seen him do and all the care that he'd give to others that he would care about their problems. 
Didn't he know that this ship is about to sink? Shouldn't they have known that it can't sink? But like many of us, we get wrapped up in our storms and think that no one cares and that God doesn't care and that he's indifferent and there's no hope. Perhaps we're too proud to ask for help. Like my grandchildren, we often refuse for, to, they, they want me to help them. They say, I can do it myself, Papa. And they can't do it. So you have to step aside and let them struggle until they come back and say, Papa, would you help? It happens. Yeah? You, but we often refuse to help and we refuse to go to him. We have to wait. It's like they, I understand that when you're drowning, you have to wait for people to get desperate. I wonder if they say three times until they won't fight you. You can go save them. Or when you do the Hamlet maneuver, you have to ask if they want help. You see them joking, but don't help them until they quit fighting themselves. And then they're ready to be helped. Let me summarize our two lessons so far. Number one, you will have storms in this fallen world that will be too big for you to handle. And number two, Jesus is there and cares and is moved with compassion and love for us as we face the storms of life. You with me? You agree with those? We won't take a vote, but all right. The third lesson we learn in the storm of the Sea of Galilee is that Jesus has authority over all the storms of our life. Matthew 28, 18 says, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea. He said, Shut up, wind. He didn't say shut up. He wouldn't use the us word, but he said, hush. He rebuked the wind. And he spoke to the sea. Be quiet to the winds and be still to the waves. And these are aorist verbs in the Greek, which means it happened right now. It wasn't that the, the storm broke. It's the storm stopped. The wind shut down and the waves went flat at the word of Jesus. They ceased immediately. Why are you afraid, he asked. Where is your faith? Don't you recognize me yet? Don't you see who I am and the authority that he has? They were terrified in the presence of the one suddenly who in the middle of life-threatening storm could scold the wind and speak to the waves and they obeyed. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind of Jesus that dwells in our life. As long as Jesus is in the boat, you will ultimately not be defeated by any storm. Can I say that again? Slowly. As long as Jesus is in your life, you will not be overcome by any storm. Things don't always go the way we want, but we're not overcome. Romans 8, let me turn, you might want to, I'm going to be there some of the time in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Well, actually, I'm not going to go there yet. 8.31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a question. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then in 1 John 4, 4, it says, He that is in us 
is greater than he that is in the world. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And we're not going to be, no matter what kind of storm is thrown at us by the evil one or this evil world, he cannot defeat us. In Romans 8, 34 to 38, some of my favorite scriptures. 8:34. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Though in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? There's nothing, nowhere in this creation, any power above and below the earth, nothing can separate us from the love of God which we receive when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Let me say this. It's not our religion. It's not our denomination. It's not our church. It's not our morality. It's not our Bible knowledge that will be with us and get us through the storms. It is Jesus who lives in us and will never leave us nor forsake us, that can silence every storm in the end. He is bigger and stronger than any storm we face. And my desk, when I pastored, a lady brought in to me a little saying, and I put it on the desk and left it there the whole time, says, nothing's going to happen today, God, nothing's going to happen today that you and me can't handle. Now, I had an experience that way in pickleball this week. Yeah, pickleball. I don't know if you know pickleball, but it's kind of an older person's version of tennis and ping pong mixed together, sort of. But it's good exercise, and it's quite a thing, and you play with partners. I always, I guess you can play it single, but I always play with partners. So I went out, and I hadn't been playing for a while, and, and you, when the winners win, they stay and split, and then the losers go, and they go take a turn and come back in. Well, I ended up playing like seven games, one right after the other, and didn't take water and everything, but that's beside the point. Those are just excuses. But the first five games I lost. My team lost. What's wrong with my teammates? Everybody, I, every team I get on loses. And then, I, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Morris, but I got on your team. He was my partner. And we won. I got to play with him again. And we won. I began to see a pattern. <laughs> when Morris was on my team, our team won. And so I figured, you know, if Morris would be on my team, I'll take on anybody. And I say that because that saying is true. Nothing's going to happen in your life that you and God can't handle. That's because your partner is strong. That's because your Lord is powerful. That's because he speaks to the winds and the waves and they stop. He has power over death and over the devil and over all things. And he lives in us. 
And I remember when I was leaving to go off to college and leaving my church that I had known for all those years, and I was scared, and I didn't know what the future held, and I said, God, you're going to have to go with me and be my partner. And I wasn't a very good partner, but Jesus was. Jesus has always been there, and it's powerful. So let me review the lessons of this storm on the Sea of Galilee. Storms are a part of life in the fallen world, and we don't know what when they're going to come. And most of them will be bigger than we can handle by ourselves. Secondly, Jesus cares about the storms in our life. And when we call out to him, we can be assured he will hear us. And even better, he's bigger than any storm. That's number three. And he has the authority to defeat and calm any storm. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But the most important question that I asked this morning, is he in your life? Have you accepted him and what he has done for you as your Savior? Have you invited him to come into your life and be your Lord and your Savior? If not, then the lessons of assurance in the storms of life do not apply to your life. If Jesus is not the foundation of your life, then when the storms come, you will be overcome you will collapse. So let me close this morning with the words of an old hymn. I grew up with this hymn. It was written by a Baptist preacher in 1834. Yeah, they used to write back in 1834. They didn't type. He was on his way to visit his wife, the wife of a friend who was dying, and on the way, as he was walking the road to the house, God gave him a chorus of a song and quickly four verses to go with it. He wrote them down, scratched them down on a piece of paper and put it in his pocket. When he got there and was talking to the, to, the, to the lady who was going to die and her husband, she said, I wish we could sing some hymns. But they didn't have a hymnal. And he remembered that in his pocket, he'd written a song. So he pulled it out and they sang it for the first time. And, and she was moved by it and touched by it. And she, she said, could you get me a copy? And he actually ended up sending this, this song to a publisher and he and they put the music to it. Let me share the first three verses of that song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My oaths his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I don't know the great storm that you may be facing today, that nobody, somebody else doesn't even know it. We, as a church, certainly are facing one now. Let us all stand up in our storms and stand on the solid rock of Jesus and our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. And let him calm the storms. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you stand with me? Lord, we stand before you with our lives open and transparent this morning. 
you know the realities of our struggles and the reality of our fears. You know what storms we're struggling with this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. And to those of us who know you as our own personal Lord and Savior, we know you are in us and with us. Help us to look to you and depend on your power and authority to silence the storms that seek to destroy us and our testimony and our joy. Thank you, Lord, for your written word and its promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, we're going to be singing a song, and we want to, I would encourage you just to talk to God and release, invite him to get involved in your life in that area that nobody knows about.